Welcome to our sermon podcast here at Cornerstone Anglican Church. We are a new church plant in Chicago's West Loop neighborhood, seeking to participate in God's story of transformation. We're so glad that you're here with us today. Oh, thank you, Father Nate. That's a really sweet, and it's a very, it's a very meaningful introduction. Um, love Nate and Sarah and their children so much. Love you all. And I'm honored to be here. A couple opening comments, then we'll get into our teaching. So Joel, uh, it was generous and got bumped. Um, I was supposed to be in Michigan uh, this weekend preaching, but uh, we've got a big family event this afternoon that, that came up quickly and changed our, our plan. So when it, our plan was changed and I realized I was going to be in Chicagoland again, I thought, well, I mean, I want to go somewhere. Um, so I reached out to Nate and just said, I'm going to be here. I can do whatever. I just would love to get to West Loop. I just haven't, I haven't been with you guys since you were West Side, south of the Ike. Um, that's been maybe three years ago. So um, I'm really, really overjoyed to have a chance to be with you guys, have community together, have communion together, share God's word together. So praise the Lord. Um, let me say something that just pastorally, and then we'll get into the, the text. Um, it has been an incredibly devastating year for our country. And many of the devastating events have occurred within our diocese. So we have a church in Kenosha, uh, where Jacob Blake shooting happened. We have a church in South Minneapolis, five minutes from where George Floyd was killed. Uh, we have, of course, a church not far from Brooklyn Center, where Dante Wright was killed. And we have a church in Little Village, uh, where Adam Toledo was killed. So, uh, of course, this has affected us as a country, but this has affected us as a diocese. It goes to very deep places in our hearts. Uh, so I'd like to just say a, a brief prayer about that, if I may, on this morning. And also, I just got a word from Father Jonathan Kimberg, who is uh, one of our priests in Little Village. Um, just got this in between services, and we're on the live stream here, too, so I can invite folks. Uh, so Father Jonathan will be, be, will be participating with his church, Aviva, in Little Village. Uh, Pastor Paco, a key leader in Little Village, is organizing with New Life Community Church a prayer time at 5 p.m. at 24th and Sawyer, um, where Adam was shot. Citywide time of prayer and lament and walk, um, 5 p.m., 24th and Sawyer, and there's an encouragement to wear a white T-shirt. So if the team can maybe get that out, let the folks, et cetera, that, that would be great. But I want to make sure I, I mention that. Okay. Um, so, Father in heaven, uh, as Father Nate already said, and as we'll do in prayers of the people, as Aaron leads us, um, we, we do, Lord, lament, we do grieve. Um, Lord, we never want these events to be events. There are people, and uh, there are those who have been made in the image of God. We pray for our city. Lord, we pray for Minneapolis. We pray for suffering in Kenosha and other places. In Jesus' name, come in your power. Come in your glory, O oh Lord, we pray. We have so much need for you, Lord Jesus, and we call upon you in your holy name. Amen. Amen. Okay, good. If you have your phones or your Bible, be in 1 Kings 17. I'm going to tell a story before that, so you can just have it ready or whatever. We will look at that passage, but let me first tell a story. So my wife, Catherine, uh, grew up in the amazing, stunning, and crazy country of Brazil, and we were given a gift by the diocese and by our church resurrection to spend a sabbatical summer, three months, in Brazil. And honestly, I would need five hours to tell you all the things 
that happened to our family of eight, uh, traveling in cars that would break down and all kinds of incredible adventures in this adventurous country. But I'll just tell you one that is really connected to this text about the widow, because I want to give you some role models this morning, one from this story and one from the Bible, the widow of Zarephath, that we can look up to and that we need to understand and even imitate. So here's the story. We love beaches as a family, and we were driving out to a particular beach in Brazil one morning, and we had two different cars, and this is the case often in Brazil, we were stopped at a police checkpoint. So the police officer came, talked to Catherine first, she speaks Portuguese, I know about a hundred Portuguese words for food, which now you already know me better than you did before. Okay, so I really can't converse with the police officer very well, but I could tell he was not happy about my flip-flops, and he was telling me something was wrong with that, and he didn't like the car seat we have for our youngest kid, which I knew was something of a ruse, because honestly, Brazilians don't care that much about car seats. And so I began to kind of figure out something's not right here. Catherine came back, talked to the officer, and he said, this is really serious. I'm writing you two tickets for 500 hay ice, which is about $300, which is about what we had left for the rest of our trip. And Catherine and I froze. What are we going to do? So Catherine steps in and innocently says to the police officer, sir, we're a family of eight. I mean, this is going to be a huge challenge for us. We didn't know. know, My husband's an American. He didn't know. Um, is there any way you could do something for us? Which was code for the officer. Says, oh, absolutely, I can do something for you. Give me 100 hay ice for lunch with my friends. And that ticket will go away. So Catherine translated what he said to me. And I went, oh, wow. And I started doing some work like, well, this is contextualization. And we're in a different culture. And We've got to think about this carefully. This is, this is a real opportunity. And I, I, I wasn't a math major. I'm, I'm a pastor. But I, I know the difference between 100 and 500. I was like, man. I was like, Catherine, let's, let's do it. Just give him 100, 100 hay ice. So we give the officer 100 hay ice. He waves us through. We're getting on the road again to go to the beach. And my 16-year-old son is right next to me. He's quiet for like 10 minutes. And he, and he said, uh, Daddy? did you just give that officer a bribe? And I was convicted immediately. Well, yes, Ellison, I, I just gave him a bribe. He said, Daddy, isn't that what the Bible calls filthy lucre? Now, where this kid got the King James Version, I do not know, but that's, that's a phrase in an old school Bible. And I said, yes, that's corrupt money. And I was so guilty. And I realized, oh my word, I just participated in a profoundly corrupt system that ultimately brings incredible pain and distress, especially upon the poor. That was just a part of something that I, I did wrong by money. I did, I did wrong by the system. I just did wrong in front of my kids. I was so upset. And we're driving to the beach. And I'm just praying, Lord, forgive me. I'm so sorry for doing this. And we got to the beach and I gathered the kids and I just said, you just have to know, I just did the wrong thing. I, I gave in to pressure, I gave in to fear around money and provision, I felt like we weren't going to have enough, and I made a decision that was an immoral decision, and I am so sorry I did that, I'm so sorry you saw it, and I said to the kids, as I was praying, I know God's grace is free in Jesus, I know I will be released of this sin, but I want to just, in response to the Lord, I said, you know what, that 500 hay eyes was so precious to mama and me, what if we decide we're going to give 500 hay eyes away before we leave Brazil, in a week and a half? We're going to go on an adventure together. How would God give, have us give 500 AI? So everyone's like, man, dad was wrong. That was, that was nasty. Hope he doesn't do it again. But now, like, what would God do? 
So we started praying about this. And the next day we went to our usual beach spot, which is a different place. There's a wonderful man named Senor Edgy who had a business where he would set up umbrellas for you and your chairs, and he cooked, and he was an amazing man. And we'd become really good friends with Senor Edgy. And every day we would see him for a month. And we go to our favorite beach spot, and he's not there. And we find out that the axle on his trailer by which he could bring all the foodstuffs out to the beach had broken. And we knew that what he did was subsistence, that what he made it one day went right to provide for the family, and it would have that way every single day. And we thought, this would be a crisis. And we've got 500 hay ice to give him. We were so excited. We started asking around the village. We figured somebody would know where Senior Edgy was. No one knew. No one could find him. For a week, we're looking for him. We can't find him. We come to the very last day when we're leaving this town. And I wake up in the morning. And sometimes the Holy Spirit will, will, will move in such a way you almost feel like something's heavy on your body. Like something's changed. And I woke up and I felt heavy. And I felt like the Lord said to me as I prayed intuitively. I felt like he said, go find Edgy. And I said, well, I've been trying. Could you help me? Go find Edgy. So Catherine and the kids prayed that morning. We had the whole day doing something. We went through a part of the neighborhood we didn't usually go through. And literally at the very end of the day, on the very last day, we passed a shop. And Madeline, my oldest, goes, there's a sign with a symbol that I would see on Edgy's T-shirt. So we stopped. And lo and behold, he was connected to this company. And we said, do you know Edgy? Yes. Do you have his mobile? Yes. We dialed the mobile with incredible anticipation. Nobody answers. Oh, Lord, please, please. We dial again. Hello? It's Senor Edgy. And we say, Edgy, we, we want to just see you before we leave town. And we have just a little gift we want to give you as a, a way of just thanking you for our time together. Oh, of course. So he walks over to a gas station. We meet at the gas station. We sit at the picnic table outside the gas station. And Catherine and I say to him, Senor, um, God has spoken to us that we're supposed to give you a, just a, a, a small financial gift. Now, we haven't even handed it to him yet. He, doesn't know, he has no idea how much it's going to be. And before we can finish the sentence, he puts his head down like this, and he's shaking like this. And he said, we have nothing right now. And he goes on to tell the story that not only had he lost this work because of a broken axle, but that the city corrupt would not approve him to use another cart because of discrimination against him as a believer. His wife had lost her teaching job for the same reason, so they literally had no income. There's no savings account. There's no family system. There's, there's no mom or dad to reach out to and say, could you quick pay Zell me something to get me through this hard time? There's nothing, no opportunity anywhere they could think of. He said, we were desperate. So I went to my Bible, and I read my Bible last night, he said, and then I went and I prayed, and I just said, God, I, you, you have to do something. We have no recourse. He said, and I literally sensed in prayer, the Lord said, I am sending a man to you with a gift for you. And as you said, I have no idea who that could have been. But it was you all. While he's doing all this, he's done like this, crying and saying these things. And over his back, I'm saying to Catherine, let's give more money. And she says, I already put more in there. And I said, put even more in there. And she's like, we've got nothing. I was like, that's right. But we've learned our lesson now. So we're like slapping hay ice on this thing. And so we give him a good pile of, 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 of money. And it's about a month's worth of, of salary. And he says, tonight I'm going to church. And I'm going to give testimony. I'm going to give testimony, he said, to the power of God. Brothers and sisters, God's power is supernatural. Where there is nothing God can do anything. Where there is nothing, God will do something. God will meet us. God can take where there's nothing happening at all and move by his presence and move by his power. 
Edgy is a role model I want to put in front of you today that we can trust God that when there is nothing, and it may be a material nothingness, it may be an emotional nothingness, it may be a relational nothingness, it may feel like a spiritual nothingness, that God will meet us in that place. Indeed, his case was material. Mine was actually spiritual. I came up face-to-face with my sin nature, with my ability to do something that I shouldn't do. I had nothing. And yet God then invited me to participate with him in a way of meeting edgy. That's how God works. So God prepares us for his power through our poverty. We'll see this in the widow of Zarephath and Elijah, verses 8 to 12 in your Bibles, 1 Kings 17. And God pastors us with power by his word and by his wonders. Okay, quick back up on this. And I'm assuming some of you are not familiar with this story at all. Elijah is a teacher. He's, he's what we call the prophet in Israel. This is ancient Near East. This is Israel. He is a prophet and a teacher. The widow, and a widow is somebody in the ancient Near East who is utterly destitute. When you hear widow in this culture, when we hear widow, we still feel compassion, rightly so. When you hear widow now, you have, you have to think of somebody who has no recourse and no means. The reality for women and discrimination against women in those times is that there was no way to earn if they didn't have a husband or a brother or a father looking out for them. Now, we also have a drought that's happening throughout this area of the ancient Near East, which means this. People are going skeletal. Their skin, because they're not drinking water, is becoming flaccid and weak. You're waking up in the morning, and all you're thinking about is, is there any way to drink something? Would there be any way to eat even the smallest thing today? Elijah, who is a teacher, has actually prophesied this is going to come, but now he's also suffering under this same drought. And we come there in verse 8, the word of the Lord came to him. Now, the word of the Lord could seem abstract, but it's actually, it's like a figure in the story. The word of the Lord is a prominent reality in the story that God speaks. We now understand, 2,000 years later, that God speaks to us in his word. This is called the word of God. God speaks here. This is a figure. This is a reality in our lives. In the same way that Elijah has a relationship with the word of God and the Lord, so we have a relationship with the word. Don't just kind of cruise over the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord comes to him and says, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Okay, now, he might hear that and think, Oh, well, maybe the drought is less worse in this area. Maybe God's going to take me to a land of promise. He knows the story of the people of Israel, but God's provided for them in ways that were miraculous. He may be thinking, Oh, this is amazing. This is my, this is my, God provided a thing called manna, which is like food that came from the sky. He's like, This is my manna moment. I'm going to go to Zarephath and get manna, maybe he's thinking. And then God says, and I've commanded a widow there to feed you. That would not be an encouragement. That would actually be a moment of desperation. You might even wonder, what kind of God is this? I'm asking God to help me. I'm destitute. I'm going skeletal. I'm dying of thirst. And he's going to send me to a widow who will be in worse shape than I am? Elijah was in a place of poverty. Elijah was in a place of nothing. And God lets him go poorer. Are you ever in a place in your life where you come to me and say, God, I need this relationally or financially or vocationally or interpersonally or internally or in terms of mental illness? I need this. And you finally humble yourself and say that you need it. And it gets worse. Can, can I get a witness? Yeah, okay, good. Praise God. I'm not the only one. That's such a relief. 
for a moment you guys had me thinking that I'm the only one this ever happens to. No, of course not. It happens in our spiritual lives all the time. If you're following Jesus, you can expect this reality. That you'll be in a place of poverty, and God will actually allow you to go deeper into poverty, deeper into pain, deeper into some of these realities. Why would God do that? Because he's preparing us. There's a preparation happening. It will not be the last word, but it may be the second to last word. A widow. So he goes to the widow. He arises, and a widow's there gathering sticks. Already we have at least a small consolation. The widow that God said would be there is there. Bring me a little water that I may drink. And she goes to bring it, perhaps her last cup of drinkable water. It says, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she says, as the Lord lives, I have nothing. That is one of your key mottos as a follower of Jesus. As the Lord lives, I believe God lives. I believe he reigns. I believe he's true, but I have nothing. That's how followers of Jesus think. That's how we act. But she follows this man of God and does what he asks. He says, do not fear. Quick testimony, God moves us from poor to poorer often, before he provides with his power. This happened for me in a very unique circumstances. I was preaching in the country of Nigeria, a place that I have a particular love for. And I was preaching very large revival meetings, and it was extremely hot. And I ended up having heat stroke, which catalyzed kidney stones, which catalyzed inflammation of the kidney, which began to catalyze a septic reaction in my body because I couldn't properly void. This all happened sort of starting one night, where I got really, really sick. And I thought that night, okay, this was a really bad night. I was in a hotel room by myself. This is miserable. But I've been preaching God's word. I mean, I've, I've come here to serve and, and, and to help. Certainly, this will be a bad night. and It'll be a great morning. Like, it's going to be a relief. Something's going to break open. I'm going to be better. But it got worse day two. It got worse day three. Day four, I go to my friends and say, you have to take me to a hospital. I don't think I'm in good shape. And they say, oh, we would never take you to the hospital in our community. Don't you understand what hospitals are like here? I did not. Oh, healthcare is a, it's a travesty for them. So I said, okay, 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 okay. Look, look, I got resources back at home. Take me to the capital city hospital. Oh, no, 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 Bishop. It's no better there. You've got an American passport. We don't have that. Use that passport, they said. Get on a plane. I could hardly walk five feet. But they're like, if you've got a passport, you can do it. We couldn't. Get on, get on the plane. Through a series of events I still cannot explain, they drove me 50 miles through 25 military checkpoints, got me on three different planes. I'm two hours from Chicago O'Hare, and I start to lose my mind. I'm going septic. I'm, I'm going toxic. I'm not thinking clearly. I'm completely out of my mind. I find a flight attendant. She grabs my shoulders. She looks at me and says, you are going to make it alive to Chicago. She talks me through a panic attack. We land on the tarmac in Chicago O'Hare. There's an ambulance that takes me to a hospital right away. That night, I'm beginning to experience some relief, and I'm lying in my bed, and I fall asleep. And I wake up in the morning, and I say to Catherine, my wife, who was there with me, I said, did you call folks from our church to worship over me last night? That was awesome. And she's like, oh, honey, no, no. Nobody was here. And I said, this room was full of people worshiping. 
And I realized I'd been given an experience with God at the end of this deep poverty. God brought worship into that room. It was like I was in the courts of God. That's a phrase used in the scriptures, the courts of God, the presence of God. And I literally heard the voice of the Lord saying, Stuart will now declare who God is. God lives, I said. As God lives, I have nothing. You will have your testimonies. If you don't already, here's God's math club. It's very simple. Nothing plus more nothing and please, if you're a mathematician, like, I know nothing is just nothing. Like, you can't have more than nothing. Whatever. Just go with me, okay? Nothing plus more nothing plus God equals everything. God pastors us by his power in his word and in his wonders. Do not fear, Elijah says. And through Elijah, God is pastoring the widow Zarephath. He pastors us with those words. Over and over again, Jesus says those words, do not fear. You have every reason to fear when you're in a place of destitution like this, but do not fear. It will not be the last word. And then we see, for thus says the Lord, verse 14. There it is again. The word of the Lord. For thus says the Lord, the jar of flour shall not be spent. The jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. Brothers and sisters, let me give this to you as you seek to be a follower of Jesus. Don't try to do it without the word of God. It will crush you. This life will crush you, and even trying to follow Jesus without his word will crush you. You'll become immediately confused. You won't be able to orient yourself in what's happening. You're getting, it's hard, and it's getting harder. You're not understanding unless you know the widow of Zarephath and Elijah. And then you go, okay, I understand this. Indeed, God's word is his way of pastoring you. Do not remove yourself from his pastoral ministry that he wants to give you here in the, the great gift of the word of God. Always ask for a word from the word. Let God speak to you personally through the word. Do not let anybody tell you that you don't know enough about the Bible to read the Bible and understand it and God minister to you through it. If anybody teaches you that, reject it. This is not to say that there's not needed scholarship for the Word of God. People spend their lives in scholarship for the Word of God. Praise God, we need that. It's just that we can have both scholarship on the Word of God, but also you encountering God's Word in His Word, Him speaking to you, Him ministering to you, Him guiding you, Him pastoring you. That's exactly how He does it. There was a great figure of the middle 20th century who you would have known about even if he hadn't died a martyr in Nazi Germany because he was one of the great and rising Bible thinkers and theologians coming out of Germany in the mid-20th century. His name was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer had escaped Germany. His friends got him out of there because they knew that he would be killed because he was standing up so clearly because of God's word to Nazism in Nazi Germany. He's living in Harlem. He's attending African-American churches there. He's absolutely enthralled by African-American preaching because of the, the exaltation and the belief in God's word and that God's word can speak to you personally in your circumstances. He's taking all this in. And he's, he's having Bible time one day. He's having his quiet time. Praise God that Dietrich Barber didn't stop having a quiet time. <laughs> Hallelujah. He's having his Bible time. He's being trained to read God's word to speak to him. And God speaks personally through a particular scripture verse. And he knows and is confirmed by those in his life that he trusts. I have to return to Nazi Germany because of reading God's word. And he does. And it doesn't get better. Indeed, he's martyred in the last days of Nazi Germany's power. 
So very simply, let me just give you this application about the Bible. Very, very simple. Bible before breakfast or Bible before bed, but Bible. And you may miss a day or two. Don't get worked up. Just don't miss a week. It's going to really confuse you if you miss Bible times. It's what we need. It's how God pastors you. So Bible before breakfast or Bible before bed, whatever your rhythms are, whatever works, but Bible. God pastors Elijah and the widow through the Bible, through the Word, and then God pastors through the wonders. Look at these wonders. Indeed, there was a jar, and there was no flour, and then there was flour. Wait, 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 wait. So, so we've got, wait, is this the live, where's the live stream? I, I'm not, yeah, 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 I'm sorry, I'm not. Um, sorry, live stream people. Um, so there's very, very little flour left. And then there's flour. There's very little oil left. And then there's oil. How could that happen? It's a supernatural reality. How could it even be? Indeed, we find that those who follow Jesus become supernaturalists. That's one of the ways we think about ourselves, is we're people of wonders. We're people who are supernaturalists. And if you're exploring Christianity, you need to understand right away that we believe in crazy things. We believe in things that don't make any sense, but, but, but that, that there be a supernatural reality. We actually believe that God in the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, that God became a fetus. It's a scandal. We believe he lived in the womb of a woman, Mary. We believe he was born and raised up and nursed as a child. We believe he traveled around places like Nazareth in the ancient Near East and he laid hands on people whose skin was completely diseased and it became like a baby's skin. We believe he touched people's eyes and the optic nerve was healed to the point that they could see again. We believe then, if that wasn't enough, that he was executed on an instrument of torture in the Roman Empire and that he died. No, we believe that the second person of the Trinity became a corpse, as the Apostle Mark says in Mark 15. And that a man named Joseph literally came and took his body off of a cross and laid his heavy, limp, dead body upon his own body and found some way, with others' help, to get it into a tomb. We believe that. And we believe that three days later, that dead body rose from the grave. We believe that. If you're a follower of Jesus, you believe that. So can someone tell me why we get worked up then when we say that God can heal headaches? Or that God can move through powerful systems and bring redemption? Or that somehow I'm considered naive or maybe even superstitious rather than supernatural when I believe that God can take people who have demons inside of them and get demons out of them? Well, that would be crazy. That's easy. That's first grade. We are supernaturalists. We are people that need the word and we need the wonders of God. And when the word and the wonders come together in God, God meets us where we are very, very needy where we have nothing, I have nothing, but as God lives, I have everything. So look at the widow Zarephath. Look at her life. Remember Senior Edgy. He came and he said, I didn't know what we would do, but God told me a man would come and bring a gift. There's a far greater man. 
His name is Jesus. He has brought us the gift of His Word and His wonders. Praise the Lord. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.